You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry. Now you're very welcome to the show tonight. I hope I find you well on this Wednesday evening. I'm delighted to say that my guest this week can stand out with myself, Ian O'Connell, is Johnny Ward. Born in Galway, he grew up in a single mother family with his sister and due to a family situation, they fled to County Down. Johnny is an adventurer and blogger with One Step Forward and he is the only person in the world to visit every single country, climb the seven summits and reach both the North and South Poles. Sit back and enjoy the show. Johnny, thanks a million for, for joining me today. How's, how's life with you? Good, thanks, buddy. I just got back from the South Pole, so I'm based in Thailand here. I've got four weeks here. I'm two weeks gone, two weeks to go, and then I'm off to Afghanistan end of the month. Your um, how's how's it all over there? Was it good? Nice to be back <laughs> in a place that I'm not going to get frostbite by walking outside. Would uh, where'd be the I suppose the coldest place that you've um you've travelled to? It would be a toss-up between the South Pole itself or the summit of Mount Everest. They both really? were like mi- minus 40, minus 50, whatever. Awful. We're going to be out here in Ireland when it goes to about minus two then. I, I remember um, a lot. I like to, I like to bring all my, my guests, I suppose, back to the, the start, I suppose. Growing up, were you, um, were you always interested in, I suppose, kind of adventuring or were you sports or what was your childhood like? You know, Ian, yeah, I mean, I was always into sports. I was always into being outside. Um, I grew up without much money, so we, we didn't have any Nintendos or anything, you know, I didn't have any of that stuff. So I was I had to be outside, otherwise I'd just be sitting around. But adventure stuff, not really. I feel like I'm quite envious of of families who who bring their kids on adventures. You know, I think it's a very good way to teach them. And certainly if I have kids in the future, it's something I'd like to do. But I can't say that that's something I did growing up. No, we didn't really go on holiday because um, we couldn't afford it. So out and about, sure, like climbing trees and actual adventures. No, that didn't happen until I, till I finished university when I was 22. And you were, were you born in Galway originally? Aran Islands, actually, Inishmore, but yeah, and then in and out between that and Galway. And then obviously I grew up, you can hear from the accent in the north. Very good. And you um you your mom and your your sister, I heard you saying in a in a, an interview before, were you were you very close with um with them? Yes, certainly with my mom and with my sister nowadays I'm very close, but my sister was very straight A studying Lickers. very good. Aye, so we didn't get on so well as kids, actually. I would, I would be up to no good, and she like if I was skipping school or whatever, she would always be telling my mum. So now as adults, we're very close. But with my mum, I've always been very close, yes. But it just goes uh, to show, like, we'll move on now to your what you're doing now. But like like you said there, you weren't very... You're like me. I I didn't like school at all. I'd rather be out with a, a football at my, my feet. But it just goes to show, like, even if you... You're not very academic, like it doesn't define you. Like you know, there's there's life after after school, isn't there? Absolutely. Actually, academically, I had no problems. I did quite well at school. Really? I just I just didn't like the like the ecosystem of how you're how you're supposed to behave there, how rigid it is. I completely respect that it has to be like that because kids are tough to deal with. But personally, for me, it doesn't suit my personality. Like now, I'm I just turned forty, but I'm sure had it had I had I been born 20 years young, 
later like if i was younger i'm sure i would have been diagnosed with adhd this and add that and all that i don't have much time for these diagnoses but i understand that certain personalities don't deal with those um rigid uh, scenarios very well and certainly that was me but then like what you say is absolutely right like you, you fixate on your exam results and you fixate on how well you do with your homework and all this and of course it helps with critical thinking but in the grand scheme of life it is very down low on the list of the things that dictate your level of success it is and that's very very important to 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 highlight like because i know a lot of people even when i finish school like when i start sharing my story online people would be kind of onto me you know that they're doing exams they're they're worrying but it's it's great to you know just to tell them like it's only like there is life after after um after school you were saying there you moved to to, to england to, to uni was it what did you what did you say you studied there? Well, to, uh, it goes along with what I've just said. I studied international economics. It was four three years, but I changed changed uh, degrees in my first year, slash dropped out, and then restarted again a year later. And the uh, same thing again. I haven't used it for one day, and I really enjoyed my time living in England. Like as an Irishman, it was fun, and um, but I haven't used that degree once since the second I left you know I don't like I don't regret it and uh the student debt and all certainly isn't so nice but I had a good time but I haven't used any of those skills even if I even if I learned any skills I don't even know if I learned any skills but I certainly didn't use anything that I learned you um you always um I suppose when I was I was um doing the research you always kind of from a young age dreamt of the I suppose the the open road as um you know you might call it wanted to make your your mark on the the world and um just for for the people out there like you will talk about your blog now do you want to just explain to the people out there like social like not even social media but what exactly a, a blog is online yeah sure so obviously i left ireland when i was 18 and then left the uk when i was 22 and i never came back like i'm, I'm based in thailand now and over the last 15 16 years i I was trying to become the first person from Ireland to visit every country in the world, which I did. And then I was trying to become the first person in history to do the ultimate Explorers Grand Slam, which is every country plus the seven summits plus North Pole and South Pole, which I've just done as well. And then the way I managed to make that happen, because I know that a lot of people, when they hear that, they assume that you're from a rich family and how the hell do you afford it? And I would feel the same if I heard someone else talking about that. Yeah, but I started a blog, yeah, which is basically just a website that I would do cool stuff and then write about my experience doing it and also be very honest about, ex explain like, oh, I'm doing this and it's costing me 20 bucks here and I've got no money left and, da -da 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 -da. and I would be very honest and just basically write about my story. And I did that and I'm still doing that to this day. And um, that ended up having enough readers that I could have uh, advertisements on the blog and then that allowed me to fund all those adventures and that again that's still the case now there is that uh that assumption like when you hear people traveling you're like oh they're they're minted but like you said you you um you you kind of started traveling and started up the the blog is it true that you finished uh your last uni exam on the was it on the thursday and you were gone on the friday that's it very hungover finished at 5 p.m on thursday on a thursday afternoon that was the summer of 2006 and we went out on a big bender and I got back at like four or five in the morning and all the boys that I was living with were going to be drinking again the next night. And I was straight to the airport, four in the morning or whatever, like straight from the club, packed my bag. Typical Irish students, though. 
<laughs> that's it and i flew one way i flew one way to the usa and i was working in summer camps there and um yeah i literally never lived in the uk or ireland ever again from that set from basically 12 hours after my degree finished i never was back never lived in europe again and um i think you said it was in new york that you you went to was it always the the usa that i am i suppose you had in mind or was it kind of how did you why did you, you know yourself that? you know yourself Ian. like like i'm not i wasn't a kid of the world you know some kids are very lucky with wealthy families and they, yeah. and they get taken from Tanzania to Australia to whatever. And I never had any of that. So when I think about adventures and travel and what, what that meant when I was like 18, 19, 20, 21, I didn't know anything about the world. Like you couldn't put anywhere on a map. I didn't know anything. So for me, like New York was a whole nother world. You know, now I've been everywhere. I know that actually New York is so much more similar to Irish culture than a million other places in the world. But for me, when I was 21, 22, like New York was oh my god imagine being in Times square imagine drinking a beer in the usa like the movies, oh, isn't it? Ah, the movies exactly so for me that was like right okay i'm off where can i go here right new york and that's that was just the first step and that opened my eyes to the rest of the world and i feel very grateful for it and was it um when you was it you were working kind of was it disadvantaged kids or what what exactly was the the camp that you were doing i uh, so each summer in the U, when i was at uni for four years, each summer I would go to the US and work on these um, summer camps where you get paid like, I swear, I think it was 350 bucks, mate, for two months of like days, seven days a week for two months. <laughs> they pay for your flights and all that. So that's how you get it. And, but it was great summers. And the first couple of summers I worked in a um, like a disabled kids camp. And in the last summer, then when I flew to New York, I was in a disadvantage. It was like for kids from the hood in New York and we were in upstate New York. Quite an eye opener, and even um, my my own accident. Like I, I when I obviously I look at life in a totally different perspective now. But even yourself, as you were working with kids, say with disabilities, did this kind of open your eyes, and did you kind of look at life in a different light? Me, uh, you know, like this is why I, I understand that my story is inspirational for people who come from single parent families or working class backgrounds or grew up with on the welfare. And I did all those things. And I used to feel when I was younger, like, sorry for myself. Why don't I have a dad? Why can't I go on holiday? And da, 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 da. And when you see, when you go out into the big, the big bad world and you see um, people with issues a thousand times more challenging than your own, um, it made me realize that I've been very fortunate, to be honest. And also, it it's why I find it tricky to talk about my my difficult upbringing because people have it far more difficult than I do but equally I don't want to diminish the the reality that I still want to be able to tell people from my background that they can achieve things but I'm well aware that I'm very fortunate to be in the position that I'm in absolutely and you went to did you go to Thailand teaching English then was that was that soon after I that was yeah actually so I went to the US after uni and I had and they like as part of that summer camp thing they pay for your flight home right uh, and i pushed that back until the day my visa in the usa expired so i flew back in like october or whatever back to london because my flight had been from england right because i was at uni in england so they would only fly me back to england because that's where it started but i had to get back to ireland so i landed in london and my sister was living there at the time and i literally literally didn't have two pennies to rub together zero money i my mom bought me a train ticket um 
to see my sister from London. And then she had to buy my Ryanair flight back to Ireland. I didn't even have 20, 30 quid to buy a flight back. So then I went back to Ireland in October or whatever. And I stayed with my mom and I was like, God, I've got to pay this overdraft off and I've got to work out what the hell I'm going to do. And then that's when I signed up for that, this thing in Belfast, this medical research thing where they test these drugs on you. And I did that for a month. They locked me in hospital and that gave me two or three grand. And I used that to set myself up to pay my debt off and to sort myself out to, to move to Thailand. And I just remember coming back from that medical research thing and, this was 15 years ago, so the internet wasn't as big as it is now. And I was just Googling, like, how can you travel with no money? How can you see the world with no money? And something popped up with this idea of teaching English. And so I used the money that I got from that medical research to set myself up, and I became an English teacher in Thailand. I flew, I flew one way to Thailand then, and that was the start of my time in Thailand. And when you when you were in Thailand, or I don't know, did you, was it in Sydney? When was, um, I suppose, one step forward? When was that... Um, I suppose started, and you might just explain what exactly the one step forward is. The blog is where did the the name come from? So I was I flew one way to Thailand, and I was an English teacher, and then for the next kind of three or four years, I was traveling around Asia, and every time I'd run out of money, I would become an English teacher again. So I was teaching in Thailand twice, and I was teaching in South Korea twice. So I'd run out of money, fly there, work, travel again, run out of money, fly back, work, and then I was like twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. Um, and I was starting to get tired of being broke. I've been broke growing up, and now I was in the the working world, and I'm still bloody broke because I was only making like 500 euro or whatever a month each. And so I was like, God, it's cool being broke and traveling, but it would be nice not to be broke once in my life. So I went to Australia, um, like the half of Ireland, and got a working holiday visa, and I got a real job, like an office job, for the first time in my life, um, in Sydney, and that. To this day, the only time I ever had like a real job. Uh, and it was hell, to be honest. I loved Sydney and I loved the mates I met there. And I love the owners of the company that I worked for. I'm still really friendly with them now, 10, 12 years on. Um, but that taste of, of grinding out Monday to Friday, 8 in the morning until 6 p.m. every day in an office, going to Monday morning meetings and all that. I did that for what, 14, 15 months in Australia. And I absolutely hated it. During that time in Australia, that I started my blog, then and that changed my life. And um, I suppose when you did start the, the blog, Johnny, social media in general, like I know, I know myself. Short share my story online. There's um, there's obviously trolls and keyboard warriors. There's a there's a negative side to social media, but then there's a really really positive side. How big of a, I suppose a, a, a mark does social media play? in people's lives just like yourself sharing your own story yeah i probably had it in the social media world and i probably had it a bit easier than you how old are you mate i 22 i see so you're a youngster still um, only a baby i whereas when i started my blog mate 2009 2010 so 14 years ago um there was i i think instagram didn't exist and i also think youtube might not even have existed 14 years ago if it, and if it did yeah. it certainly wasn't like it certainly wasn't a main part of everyone's life the way it is now. You know what I mean? So I don't, but I think they didn't even exist. So like for me to start a blog, like a website, that was basically the only way Facebook had just was starting to become popular, but there was no Facebook pages or anything. You just had your own profile. So in terms of keyboard warriors and all that nonsense that you get, yeah. I didn't, I didn't have to deal with any of that. And also then mate, there was no negativity, you know, like now, 
there's a lot of jealousy and and you know not not something as aggressive as jealousy just the internet has shone a light on what's possible for some people and then if you're floundering if you're dreaming of, of something like that and failing in your own right it makes people feel very like there's a lot of shortcomings in their own life whereas when i was first started doing that that didn't exist there wasn't yeah. so much misery and anger online you know um, so I managed to bypass that. But, and then I'm sure, Ian, because your story and your attitude is something that's so inspirational. Like when you reached out to me, I read all about it. Like, and you're, I can't imagine anyone giving you any negativity. And I would like to think, obviously, with my story, from like with my tricky upbringing, I don't get too much. It's rare for me to get too much. And I'm sure it's even rarer for you. Or is that not the case? It It is rare. Like you you get the, the Diablo, but like I always just, I always tell myself it's more, it's more of a, a reflection on the person, really, isn't it? It is, mate. But you know, I'm quite, I'm quite a sensitive guy, to be honest. You know, like I do all these like ultra running and climbing mountains and cycling across country. But I'm quite sensitive. It really affects me. But it's not too common. So, and also like like you, and I try to promote. Like obviously, I've got my charity, and I try to drag other people to, into running ultra marathons or traveling the world. So to hammer someone who's trying to bring some positivity, don't you? And well, that's what I'm saying about you too. Like, I would be very shocked for you to be receiving any backlash. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, it is, absolutely. It is It is more of a kind of a reflection on him. But like, the good the good comments and I suppose good emails and everything, it outweighs the, the, the negative ones, doesn't it? It does. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted with you because... I'm sure like with your attitude, when people are in really tricky situations, like you're a real beacon of light for them. And on a lesser note, I hope I am for people in my situation and hope I can be something similar. Like we said, we're both using social media to, to spread a, a positive a positive um, attitude and, and um, I suppose way of life to, to other people. You booked, a, was it a one-way ticket to Zimbabwe and, um, <laughs> and, and Africa? You've done your research and I'm very impressed. Oh. What was that like? Great. But, you know, I told you I worked in that company in Sydney in Australia for 13, 14, 15 months, whatever it was. And they're now very good friends of mine. I still like they I have this charity that I run now. That company's gone from strength to strength and, and they sponsor a lot of my charity work. I'm very close to the, the owners of that company. But I really screwed them over, mate. They went through all the paperwork and the, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20 grand to pay for me to get sponsored and all in australia and then within a month i was on the verge of a breakdown i was like i can't do this i'm so sorry you spent a lot of money on lawyers and anyway yeah as you say i just quit um i did my 30 days notice apologized to them profusely because i was friends with them and i said i can't do this i'm losing my mind here like i'm in tears on a sunday night because i'm dreading coming to work on a monday and and i literally just flew one way to zimbabwe with just a hope really so i just had my blog started a couple of months and I just had a hope that I would be able to monetize that. I had about, I think I had about 15, 20,000 Aussie dollars saved, which is let's say half in, in euros or whatever at the time. So maybe 10 grand euro I had saved from that year in Australia. And I wanted to go from Cape Town to Cairo, which is the bottom of Africa all the way to the top with public transport. I had nothing booked, literally nothing. I just flew one way and landed in, in Harare and Zimbabwe. And I thought I've got 10 grand that should be enough if I keep it tight and sleep in buses and, and whatever. That 10 grand should get me from the bottom of Africa to the top of Africa. And during the six to 12 months that journey takes, 
I'll work hard on the blog and hopefully I can see if I can make a little bit of an income from the blog during that time in Africa. And just as a, at the halfway point through that trip, then I had my first advertiser on my blog and I wasn't making enough to, to, to survive on, but I was making a hundred to 300 bucks a month. Um, and that, even though I couldn't travel on that, it, it was probably about half, I was probably traveling on five, 600 a month. So it was about half my travel costs. But more importantly was that I knew that it was a, a viable potential income stream. And that allowed me then, that was 2010. And that allowed me to to believe that, holy shit, I might actually be able to make this work. Like you said, you knew that it was, it was, um, it was, I, mean, I always wanted to, to Africa. It's kind of, it fascinates me the, I suppose, and did you, when you were there, did you do any of the, like, kind of the safari side of stuff and seeing the, the wildlife? Because I, I, I'd love to do that. I did, and we can talk offline, Ian, about how we can maybe sort that out if you're really keen for it. Let's have a chat after. Um, but at that time, I still didn't have that much money, did I? So I did, of course, I saw a lot of wildlife, but I couldn't do any of these, like, glamorous safaris that you see on on. TV, you know, because I was on such a budget and they're bloody expensive. Oh, David I, Attenborough and he's like, we saw I saw a lot of stuff, but it was um I had to do like the cheap touristic, super touristic version, like the, the Chinese tour bus type style one rather than being out there with a big camera. And um, but it was still amazing. Like I'd never been to Africa before at the time. So for me, it's like, wow, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, but now I've got a bit older and understand that oh, I've been to all these places now. I, now I can really point people in the right direction if they want to go for a real safari experience. But at the time, that was real to me. Even the 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 cheap and cheerful one, that's all I knew. So, it was, yeah, it was amazing. But it's tough travel in Africa, especially when you're on a tight budget. It's great to look back, though, and see, see what you, you know, you got the chance to, to do that. And I'm sure every other, every other country, do you have any, um, I suppose, I, obviously, you've obviously, there's not going to say what country because you've done, you've done them all. No. But was there any country that you, um, that you loved the most or what what country was more i suppose like home was australia when there's so many irish over there oh that's a good that's a good question no one's ever asked me that before um do you know mate australia is a great country for sure and somewhere that's very easy to live and salaries are big and the weather's good there's a few things that people don't know about australia i would say that unless you've been there number one the weather is better than Ireland for sure, but it's not half as good as their bloody marketing department would let you believe. <laughs> Honestly, like winters, you're you're in scarves and hoodies, and it's, I don't know how they've got away with this marketing. Their winters are a bit crap, to be honest. And also culturally, it's I, I think it's closer to the USA than it is to really? Ireland. Yeah, mate, like it's a bit in your face and a bit fake beauty and all that. It is a great country. Don't get me wrong, I love it and I go back a lot. It is great. But if, if, if it leans more towards like UK, Ireland or USA, for sure it leans closer to the USA culturally. Um, but closer to that, Ireland's a very unique place. Very, very unique. You know, obviously it's an island, so the culture has been harvested and, and, and it's grown in its own tiny little ecosystem in a beautiful way that there's just nowhere like it. The warmth of the, uh, the warmth and the positive. I do find Ireland, I know Irish people like hear it when I say this because like you always want to complain about your own country, but I find it very positive. I find that Ireland carries a much more positive energy than, than Irish people realize. Absolutely. hundred percent. And um, what I was just popped into my head there, 
Do you know the way in Ireland when you're going down the street, there'd be if you're walking down one street and someone's walking up, you kind of give them a nod and say how are things. Yeah. In other countries, I remember I was in London there at the at the UFC event last March, I think, and and I was I was going on the street and I there was some coming up and I said how are things. They kind of looked at me like there's nowhere <laughs> like Ireland like that. Yeah. That's right. Which UFC event did you go to? I was at the Camaros, man, and Leon Edwards. Oh, which, the first one or the second one? The second one, yeah. Oh, mate, that yeah. must have been amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. I'm looking forward to UFC 300. I'm looking forward to the bloody announcement. Let's see what's happening. Oh, yeah, just they want to be shoving out with it. You're, uh, yeah. you, would you watch a lot of um, UFC? Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge fan, yeah. There's a big one this Sunday, actually. All my mates are coming around to watch it. Is it hard to keep up to date? And um, I suppose, because I, I presume you're not a huge TV or Netflix guy, are you? Do you know, mate, I, I, I've got, I suffer a lot from anxiety, to be honest, because I put a lot of pressure on myself to, to do these big things. Yeah. So actually, I do watch a fair bit of Netflix. I never sit and waste a day away, of course. Like, it's not till late at night that I do it. But it's the only way I can... Um, rest my brain is is um watching like and and then because i'm such a stress head the only stuff i can ever switch off with is sport i'm a big liverpool fan and i watch every ufc event ah uh, liverpool we've done the interview here <laughs> and um and then when I, i'm watching netflix or whatever i have to watch like dark intense stuff you know where i'm like watching it obsessed if it's like light comedy or whatever, it doesn't work because I start thinking about, oh, I've got to do this. And blah, 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 blah. Whereas I'm watching like something scary or intense, I can it allows me to switch off. So I do watch a fair bit of it. I'm the same, my law. I absolutely love true crime. Same, yeah. That's my favourite stuff, the true crime stuff. It's dark though, but yeah, I love it. It is. You'd be watching, you'd be watching something late night. Next thing, you'd hear the floorboard crack. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> right. What was um movie on there, Johnny? Just to the... The, I suppose the more extreme kind of side of of things, which is right, sort of no words put in like what you've what you've um done do I suppose Everest and the the seven summits was there a lot of um I suppose like you've been traveling with it with years, but did you have to do a lot of training like before Everest like in dim conditions? How did you prepare for it? I suppose physically, but mentally as well, because you'd hear stories of people going up and not making it down. Did that um did that play in your mind? Hugely. Really hugely. And Ireland, you know, has had a really bad five or six years with Everest. A lot of Irish guys have died on Everest over the really? last since 2016, 2017, I think maybe five or six. And it's not a very big community, you know, so Ireland's had a bad run. I was very aware of it of the death. In terms of the training once I finished my country, so when I did every country, I started getting into um, like quite hardcore physical stuff, like ultra marathons and all that. So I ran this like seven marathons, seven days in the Sahara and all this, and I started getting into a lot of ultra running. So in terms of fitness, once I started doing the seven summits, I was always on top of my fitness. I was running quite up and down mountains and all this. So fitness wise, I, I dedicated myself to it and I wanted to make sure that it wasn't my fitness that would cause me to die. And then I started doing smaller mountains and building up to, to Everest. So over that 27, 2017, I started doing the mountains and I just did Everest in 2023. So it took me five and a half years 
And fitness-wise, as I say, I, I stayed dedicated, but it took me five years to learn how the hell to behave on a mountain because I don't come, again, come from that background. It's quite an upper-class background, and it doing all those kind of expeditions. So I was completely green i would be those smaller mountains i turned up to everyone would be there knowing how to tie all these knots and the words for all this i don't have a bloody clue what i was doing so that took me a few years to um get my head around how to behave on a mountain and how to not die on the mountain and then obviously that culminated five years later with finally tackling everest but with the stuff you ask there about the, the like mental training i was very wary yeah. of dying and Ireland's best climber died when we were there when I was at base camp. His name's Noel Hannah. Really? He's also, also from County Down. Yeah, God love him. So he climbed Everest seven or eight times and he died. He was on Annapurna, but in the Himalayas when, when me and I was climbing with a friend of mine, an Irish guy. And um, we both heard that he died and that really terrified me. And actually my mate uh, ended up flying out of Everest and he quit the next day and I completely don't blame him because I was pretty close as well you just think if someone like Noel Hanna who's a 10 times better climber than I could ever be if he can die then Johnny Ward can bloody die you know what I mean so yeah it was something that hung over me and I felt like more of a relief when I finished that I wasn't going to die than, than pride of, of accomplishment was that because you know when you go up a normal mountain coming down I'm interested to ask you when you're coming down a normal mountain Sometimes it can be harder coming down and going up, like with the the terrain and stuff. Was it um? What was it like coming down the the mountain after going up, Johnny? Yeah, awful, and also like emotionally, you're spent. You've, yeah. Especially with Everest, with all mountains, it's hard. But with Everest, this was like a five and a half year thing, and and I, I had got to the summit, so like emotionally, I was so empty. Um, and it takes days, like multiple days to get down from high camp, like three, four, five days constantly down. And it's still minus 50. It's still... And the Irish guy Seamus in 2019, his sister actually had been reaching out to me and he died on the way down. And I was very aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just scary and, and painful and difficult. And like I saw a couple of dead bodies on the way down and it's just very confronting, you know? And I'm no world-class climber, so I was very aware of the, my own mortality. And and that makes you ask a lot of questions about, like, obviously, climbing mountains is very egotistical. You want to pin your name to, I've climbed a mountain. There's no denying that there's a lot of ego involved. And then, like, with the risk of death, you're like, God, what am I doing? Ego versus death and the people who love me. And you ask yourself a lot of questions. And also, mate, when you're on these mountains, like, you're climbing for 10, 12, 18 hours per day, and you can't hear anyone. You're just... So all you're doing is thinking the whole time. You're just thinking, you know, like you're in agony. You're like, but you're also just thinking about life. And da, 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 da. so you have so much time to think for better or worse. And what's it like up there? Is there like, is there, there's probably no reception like for phones or anything, is there? No. And some people have all these like sexy little sat phones and stuff. Yeah. But I don't, I don't do any of that. So I was just trying to stay focused and, try to keep the fear at bay and try to stay motivated. I don't know, Johnny, was it on Amazon Prime? Was it on, what's his name, Spencer Matthews, his brother, I think. No, but I know about My sister was telling me about it. That's that posh guy from one of those reality shows, isn't it? Yeah, he's married to Vogue Williams from Ireland, I think. Ah, oh, okay, yeah. No, but I, I know about that story. 
he he was trying to be the youngest or one of the youngest English guys to climb Everest like ten years ago or whatever, and and, they, and his body went missing. Is that right? Yeah, something something I think the youngest or something along those lines went missing, and they kind of got a camera crew together and they they were they wanted to go up and kind of look for it. But do you know I was thinking like they're putting the camera crew at risk then as well, like aren't they? I know, and and I just think me like. Like I say, coming from those kind of backgrounds, that guy probably had far more experience than me yeah. or, or I did it with. And you, if they, anyone can die up there. And you know, Ian, it's very popular these days for people to sit at home um, and talk about Everest. Say like, oh, it's just a rich person's play thing. Anyone could do it. I could do it if someone paid for it. Like, if you've done your research, like you know I've done a lot of hard physical things, rode across yeah. the Atlantic cycled across Asia, like run 101 ultramarathons. And um, Everest is the hardest thing I've ever done. So I feel very protective of it. Yeah, when I see people sitting at home being like, anyone can do it, it's just about paying money. I'm like, try it. Yeah. I cannot believe how hard it was. I also maybe was guilty of thinking like, yeah, it's going to be hard, but I'm a beast and I can do it. And when I was up there, I was just thinking like, I had no idea it was going to be this hard. They don't gift it to anyone. It is true that it's very expensive and stuff. But everyone up there is a beast, honestly. So I feel very protective of, of like when I see people being like, anyone can do it. I'm like, all right, mate, sure. <laughs> so like you said, people sitting in the hall, there you go, selling them that it's no problem. Like it's that it's it's nothing, no, no big uh, no big whoop. Like you said there a minute ago, Johnny, before we finish up, I just want to touch on the 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 rowing you've done across the Atlantic. How did um how did that come about? Was it uh I, I, I don't know, was it fifty one days you were at sea, was it? Uh, yeah, something like that. Just How shy that too. Because that's not. Oh, I mean, that was the worst two months of my life, I would say, doing that experience. Do you know a guy called, um, he used to play for, uh, he used to play rugby for Limerick? Damon, Damon Damian um, Brown. Damian Brown, yeah. Damian Brown. He's he a lovely guy. Done it, yeah. He's a lovely guy, by the way. Um, he did it, yes, and I was, I'd spoken to him over the years because we do a lot of similar stuff, like with all this crazy physical stuff. So I've been speaking to him over the years, and he had done it the year prior. Prior, and I, when I did that ultra marathon across the Sahara, um, I met a guy, I met a former bloody marine, an English marine or whatever, and and he was in, um, he was staying in the same tent as me, and I was lying down, my feet were bleeding. I just run two marathons that day, all through the night in the Sahara, and I was trying to recover. And I was like, mate, this is so hard. Um, and he's like, yeah, this is hard, but it's not as hard as last summer when I rode across the Atlantic. And I was like, what? You did what? He's like, that's far harder. How do you organize that? And he's like, oh, you joined this Facebook group and da, da, da. So I joined this Facebook group. And then during COVID, they had they had lost a team member. And they said, um, like, you dropped out. And they're like, listen, we, we, need, we needed someone to do this. Does anyone want to do this? And I applied for it. And it was only like 50 days later, I was back. I was in... Lanzarote and I've never been in a rowboat in my life and there I was signed up for it and I had, I had no idea what to expect or anything and when I got on that boat I was just thinking like I've made a huge mistake I'm like a I, I like my own space and like being yeah. stuck in a tiny little boat it was, it was really tough man and I presume like you like the I seen a picture of um with the boat you were in like the little cabins like they're tiny you, you probably didn't get much sleep at all did you? oh no and you know like when you're climbing big mountains or even if you're running like multi-day ultra marathon events and you're bleeding from your feet and you're you're in the most pain you've ever been in 
the thing is there's still there's still beauty in those moments and you can always stop open a can of coke look what you've done and be like oh yeah you know what this is awful but there's beauty in it whereas with that boat there's no respite you're just constantly in the midst of it and there's no not one second of respite i think if you do it solo it's easier because you've got your own space. And I think if you do it in a group of two, it's also easier because you do one rowing and one resting and then swap. So you still have your own space. But doing it in a group of four, it was hell for me. Like you said, if you like your own space, it's a it's a, a, a big a big um a big difference. Um last last thing before we, we finish up, like all you've uh, achieved everything and um like you said from where you came from, you um you built your own house over now in in Thailand, like that must have been a, a huge proud um moment in your your life coming from I suppose your childhood and everything that you've faced along the way. It was a massive um massive landmark, was it? Huge for me, mate. You know, when I was growing up and I always used to watch all those on um, UK TV. I used to watch all those property shows, and I just always thought, like, how do these people do this? Like, it's my dream to live in a big house. And when my blog started making money. It started making good money within two or three years. So I started in 2010-ish. And by 2012, 2013, it was making good money. And from 20, let's say 2012, when it was doing well, until 2021. So nine years, I had made good money from my blog. And I never once lost the run of myself. I, I kept all that money. I threw it in boring investment accounts, safe and, and easy. And I still took long distance buses, still ate street food, still did this, lived in a little apartment in Bangkok, like 50 square meters or whatever. And for almost oh, 10, off. I, for 10 years, I did that. You know, like when other people get money, they want to show it off and do this and that. And I didn't, I just, I, I stayed humble. And, and then with my eyes on the prize. And then two years ago, I used all that money and, and built this house that I'm in my office here doing your interview with. Um, yeah, and I feel very proud of that. Not, not just proud, not as much. Yeah, I'm proud of the house and it feels very strange, someone like me living in a big luxury house like this, but I feel very proud that I stayed hungry and humble when the money was good, that I still just stashed it all away. I'm very proud that I managed to do that. And so you should, you should, man. Um, come here, thanks so much for, for popping on now. And um, I appreciate your your time, really enjoyed that and um, talking about everything that you've you've uh, achieved and, and everything. So thanks, million for, for coming on. Oh, thanks for asking me. Now, unfortunately, that's always time for tonight. I hope you all enjoyed the show and I appreciate you tuning in as always. A massive thanks to Johnny for coming on and having a chat about his own life and career and all the stuff that he's um, accomplished and all the climbing and adventuring he's done. And um, all the travelling as well because he seems to be always travelling and, and um, living, living the life, as they say. So um, thanks a million to Johnny for coming on and having a chat tonight. If you have any questions, suggestions or requests for next week's show, you can get in contact with me through my Instagram, enoconnell321 or drop me an email on my email address, ioconnell at radiocarry.ie. Stay tuned in here to Radio Kerry because Brian Priestley is up next with That's Jazz. I hope you're all having a great week so far. I'll be back at the same time next Wednesday night from 8 to 9pm. Until then, stay safe and mind yourself. You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry.